Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I am super excited about our guest today as my endurance journey started with open water swimming, but not like this guy. He has swum Robben Island to the mainland, Cape Town, 135 times, including this morning. He's also swum the English Channel. Him and his team have swum the, swum the Ice Mile in Antarctica, a magnificent storyteller, public speaker, three-time Guinness World Record holder, the author of Push Past Impossible. Please welcome Ryan Stromra. Ryan, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, Greg, thank you so much. Awesome to be here. It's, uh, we love talking about endurance and the endurance mindset. And my question for you is, Ryan, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Uh, quite unexpectedly, to be honest, because um, I'm not lying if I tell you until the age of 29, 30, I didn't really know I had an endurance mindset. I think I probably had a couple of the traits that you, you could, you know, in retrospect, you can look back. I was quite a stubborn kid and, or, and adult, into adulthood and I never really applied myself. And then got involved in swimming and started taking on some fairly serious uh, swims that required quite a lot of endurance and a lot of other stuff as well. And realized that actually I might just have something. Um, you know, a lot of what came naturally to me, um, other guys were falling out, you know, long before and I would just carry on and wonder why, where they're going and what's, what's wrong. Um, and I realized I've got, I've got a little something that I want to explore a bit more. And that decision to explore a bit more has taken me on a really, really fascinating journey. So it's impacted my life quite profoundly. In fact, it's, it's uh, required or not required. It's um, induced a complete change of direction and a very positive one too. Can you dive in a, a little bit deeper into that, that complete change of direction? Like where were you prior to taking on these endeavors and talk to us about that transition, that change? Yeah, of course. I'll give you a little bit of, of the background because that will, that will shed the light. You know, I'm, I'm a salesman by trade. I've been the last 25 years running a, a small advertising sales operation in Cape Town. And uh, eventually I got a little bit, I, I was starting to get frustrated because I was getting fat and lazy on the couch um, at the age of uh, 29 going on 30. And I took a client away on an incentive weekend and we were sitting on our patio having a beer. And I was saying, oh, you know, I really, I need to do something, you know, the fat starting to pile on. Of course, the client said, oh, well, why don't you join my little swimming squad that I do back in Cape Town? Um, and of course, being a client, I, I nodded and said, yes, oh, good idea. And then come Monday morning, regretted it, but thought I can't now let him down. I'm not that guy who says yes, and then doesn't pitch. So I went along and, uh, you know, started just jumped in the lane, um, I don't know if any of your listeners know how a swimming squad works, but usually it's divided into six or eight lanes. Um, and those lanes have different speeds and different skill sets in them. Uh, I knew none of this, uh, of course, at the time and, uh, merrily was asked by the coach, where would you place yourself? And I just jumped in a lane, which happened to be the fastest lane. And that was a big mistake because, you know, the first four or five lengths, anyone can swim uh, at full tilt. Um, and to keep up with the other guys in the lane, I did. And then all of a sudden, I think on my sort of uh, fourth tumble turn, I realized that I'm in deep trouble. And, uh, you know, things went pear from there. I managed about 20 lengths. But it started a, a journey for me. And I met a few people that, I, that you know, were quite cool guys. And 
biggest part of what I'm telling you now, first time in my life, I actually stuck with it. I went back the next day or the next session and I did it again and I did it again. And eventually you start to build a little bit of fitness. And then in my lane was a guy who had swum Robin Island. Now for your listeners, uh, you might recognize the name. That's where uh, Nelson Mandela spent um, 17 of his 27 years incarcerated. Um, it's about seven and a half kilometers, about 4.1 miles uh, from the island to the beach. But it is very cold water that surrounds it and, and also quite scary water that surrounds it. Um, so to, to do that swim back in those days was a very big thing. So to meet someone in my presence swimming in the same lane as me um, who had actually done it was fascinating to me. It really was. You know, it was uh, someone I put up on a pedestal. And also at the time, you know, my belief was, you know, he, he's one of those superhuman athletic types, you know, not, not me. I'm, I'm just a lowly salesman uh, trying to get fit in a swimming pool. And of course you can see where this might be going. The, I stuck with it and the guys challenged me to perhaps, um, give it a go. And for the very first time in my life, I set a sporting goal and I started to, uh, train towards it. And my, my family and all my friends were saying, oh, don't be daft. That's not you. That's not your head, not for you. Um, and I kind of believed them, but I stuck with it and eventually long story short, got it done and found my feet two and a half hours later on the beach frozen stuff and also just for clarity we only use a, a speedo goggles and cap silicon cap there's no wetsuit no grease or anything so there's a pure if you want to be recognized for doing it you've got to do it uh, the purest way um and that cold sets inside you quite hectically and it becomes extremely hard to perform and and that you know takes the the puts strain on the body but the mission is no longer a physical one the mission becomes a mental one because that cold is impacting your mind quite profoundly um, and on my very first Robin Island swim, when I walked out on that beach successful, um, you know, it, it certainly was a lesson for me because I thought that was impossible for me only a few months earlier, yet here I was walking out on the beach and it's, you know, triggered something in my brain to say, okay, well, you know what, if, if that was impossible a few months ago and now I've just done it, what, what else is there? Um, and, and so the journey began for me, but most important part and jump in any time here, Greg, otherwise I'm just going to ramble on. How are you doing? Great. But Love it. Most important part, uh, is, is the, the, so the story is, is cold water because what I realized quite quickly being living in Cape town and being immersed in, you know, every time I get in the, the, the ocean around here, it's, it's pretty darn cold. I started to realize very quickly that us humans have not evolved well to handle the cold. It has a profound impact on the body and on the mind. We have, however, evolved very well to avoid it. So when we do throw ourselves in, um, you know, our mind and our body are equipped with very powerful defense mechanisms to make sure we get out. Okay. And what happens if your listeners will relate to this, I'm sure people walk into icy cold water, pain sets in, it is absolutely horrific. And you can't think of anything else other than to get out. You turn around and you get out. And that is what I didn't know at the time. Um, but what I've discovered through repeat immersions and where it's, uh, you know, we'll talk about a bit later in the journey, um, that I started to realize is an extremely powerful defense mechanism, but it's also an extremely overzealous defense mechanism. Okay. So what is actually happening as you get cold, the mind 
is implementing pain, panic, and fear. And they come together in a split second and they, they accentuate self-doubt. You doubt yourself, you doubt your abilities. You are, you know, depending on the, on the degree of cold, but you're often denied the ability of rational thought. You can't calm yourself and go, well, okay, I'm in this situation. Can I still do another two, three, four, 12 hours ahead in this cold temperature? It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thought that just doesn't compute because your mind doesn't allow it to compute. All it wants you to do is to get out. And that makes sense. If you think about you're in a hostile environment without a doubt, it will kill you. Either you're going to warm the ocean up to your core temperature, or it's going to cool you down at some point. So there is an outcome. Okay. So, and I think intuitively subconsciously, we know this very well. We evolved to know this, um, but. Where it tells you the end point is for you is not where the end point is. And that is probably the crux of, of, of what I discovered. I started to realize, like, so you mentioned, let's talk about Robben Island. I did my 135th Robben Island crossing this morning. So it went from that, wow, looking at that guy up in the pedestal to me doing it, being the guy who's done it the most in, in the entire world, up until quite recently anyway. 135 times. Now, on pretty much every single one of those 135 Robben Island crossings. At some point, I am trying to find a reason to get out. I want to get in the support boat alongside me, which let, let's call it the comfort zone, because that's where I'll get a nice blanket and dry myself and wrap and get back in my clothes. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. All I can think of is how do I get out? Not how do I make it to the beach, which I know I've done how many times. I know I can make it to the beach. I know without any doubt, but I can't think it. It's hard at first. And I started to think about this when I got out the water. Like, why do I get so negative? Why do I look for reasons why I can get out? Not for reasons why I can extend my time in that environment and push a little bit harder. And it started to dawn on me that it's the defense mechanisms that we're talking about. Now, I'm no psychologist, so there's no, you know, there's nothing kind of learnt that from a book that I'm telling you, this is all from my personal experience. So there are psychologists listening, um, although it's been tried and tested many times, so <laughs> challenge me. Um, uh, yeah, I just started to realize how overzealous it is. It's as a defense mechanism that wants me out to keep me safe. And while this is happening in my head, my body's implementing a whole barrage of its own defense mechanisms and the blood is rushing from all your extremities uh, to your center core, as you can live without arms and legs for a while, forever maybe. Um, but you can't live very long without a heart pumping blood to the brain. So then all that blood leaves your muscles and your muscles become uncoordinated and you've got no more power because they've got no more oxygen feeding them to power them up. And um, you get slower and slower, which keeps you in the cold longer and longer and it becomes a, a chain reaction. Um, and your mind kind of knows this, so it worked really hard to get you out. I know I'm repeating myself, but that is what I discovered and that is what I started to challenge. And obviously the colder the water the more profound that effect is. So myself and a couple of like-minded mates started pushing ourselves at different levels of cold, slowly but surely, getting ourselves really, really fit, understanding what's happening, figuring out the best ways to recover from it, uh, and then taking on more and more difficult challenges all the way up to um, Antarctica, as you mentioned. Wow. Uh, Let me pull. <laughs> super curious. Does it, does the, that, flight or fight feeling come in at different times. So like you've done this crossing 135 times, you've done all these other magnificent swims. Yeah. Do you, once you jump in, are you kind of expecting, are you anticipating this 
defense mechanism to kick in and you don't know when it's going to kick in, like walk us through sort of the the anticipation of it happening, the tackling of the feeling. And then when do you actually break through? Do you break through when you, your feet hit the sand on the beach or do you broke through 10 minutes later after you've had this, you know, yeah. this yeah, good, mechanism kick in? Good question. It, it's fairly routine for me. And obviously I'm talking for myself. Problem is not many people have figured this out. So this morning's Robin Island, there were two first time swimmers as well doing it. And um, they were wearing wetsuits as well. So it's not really the same thing, but I was trying to explain to them that what happens when you get in the cold and anyone who's had a swim in cold water before will know this. You get in there's excruciating pain. You usually get out. If you fight through that pain and you stay in, everything gets really nice. You start to feel good. Everything's a little euphoric. You feel great. You think, oh, I've got this. I can stay in this forever. Then what happens is that cold start to settle in your core, just starts to penetrate the core. All of a sudden that triggers, in my opinion, triggers a whole bunch of, triggers all those defense mechanisms. So to answer your question, again, let's just use the Robin Island because it's a nice um, confined seven and a half kilometers, 4.1 miles. Um, usually the first you get in, it's really cold. The first 10 minutes, you're battling through all that pain and all those things that are happening. Um, you fight through that. And then slowly but surely things get great again. You get probably for me, I get about an hour in and then all of a sudden that cold starts to set in. And that's where I need to, what I call flick a switch or change gear, but there's no longer now just physical fitness stuff. It is now mental stuff fighting my body that is starting to shut down and my head that is trying to tell me it's time to get out straight away. And that is actually the real challenge as i explained to these poor people who found had the, the misfortune of being like boat up to the island this morning you know they were in wetsuits they always get a, a you know a, a mouthful from me because and I, I do it very politely i'm not arrogant about it and i encourage everyone to swim however way you want but don't go do the robin island swim and then in a wetsuit and tell people you've you've done the robin island swim tell them you've done the robin island swim in a wetsuit because the challenge of that swim and any cold water swim is not the distance. Anyone who is swimming savvy and committed can get themselves fit enough to do that. The fitness part is actually easy. You just need a little bit of discipline and you need to know what kind of training to do and you need to get it done. The challenge of that swim and every cold swim is the cold, the mental part of it. And if you put on a wetsuit, it eliminates 90% of that cold um, and you're just doing a distance swim. Good for you. Um, but don't compare yourself to someone who, who does it in, in, a, in a speedo. So Ryan, as you're telling those stories, it um, reminded me of two, what I thought were relatively cold swims that I've done. One was the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon and then the Indiana yeah. Ironman. And granted, I was in a full wetsuit and even a little cap for the Escape from Alcatraz. And when you jump into that water, you, it just feels like knives are stuck into you. Your wetsuit feels like it kind of compresses and you get really short of breath. And so, but eventually to your point, you get through it, right? You get one stroke after another and you start warming up and, you know, your feet start tingling a little bit, but you made a great point around the mental aspect of it. And so my question is, um, what do you, what is the, do you have a mantra? Do you have a saying? Do you have a sort of something that you kind of go through mentally as you know, this is happening that you can walk us through? Yeah. You, you know, I, I can't give you step one, two or three, and I think everyone needs to kind of figure it out themselves if that's their thing, but I definitely do things to get through it. So firstly, I, I'm blessed to now have 
many, many years of, and much, many miles of experience. So I kind of know what I'm going to feel like. Um, and I literally have a talk to myself before I get in. So even, you know, even as routine is wrong, but not it is for me, I still have a little chat to myself saying, right, you know, the next two and a half hours of your life are going to be like this. And I have a conversation with myself as to what I'm going to do when that cold kicks in. Okay. Because what I also say to a lot of first time swimmers of any cold swim, um, is that your swim only starts the first time you think you want to get out. Okay. So the first part is, is as far as I'm concerned is, is easy. You can get through the 10 minutes of pain because you've done the training and you're tough. Um, you can swim through the 45 minutes, an hour of, of, uh, while your core temperature is able to, to, to maintain. And then when that core temperature starts dropping or that cold starts creeping in, you are going to think, I'm still so far from the beach. There's no way I can go. I'm, I'm on a downward slant. That is when your swim starts. Okay. And it's all a mental game. If you allow your self to go negative and to fear it and to focus on the cold and how terrible you feel you, you're you're gonna really battle you're probably not gonna make it if you tell yourself you know it's coming so when it arrives i always go right here it is and i and i put on a happy smile under the water just to to convince myself that this is what i do i'm a cold water swimmer and i'm getting cold so stop this is what you've trained for and this is where you need to be tough because this is the real part of, of the journey today in whatever I'm doing. So it's, it's not, it doesn't come close to a mantra. It is probably just a mental exercise to make sure I stay positive. When I swam the English channel, now that's a cold water swim and I was in for 13 hours. You know, that's a whole different ball game, but it was the same exercise that I did and that I've carried through all my swims. And that is to to stay positive and um, to make, to, to find humor, cold, tired, stung, chafed, um, exhausted swimmer can be an exceptionally grumpy beast. Okay. And that is, especially if you don't get your nutrition right. And that spirals at a rate of knots, trust me. Um, especially for me. So speaking for myself, um, I absolutely try and make sure I stay positive. So for example, just, and this sounds so silly, but in the moment, it's so important. I'll be swimming the English channel. I'm absolutely broken. I'm freezing cold. The wind is howling. So the waves are going up and down. I take a breath and a wave comes and I take a gulp of seawater, which hurts my throat because it's happened so many times before. It is terrible. It is so easy to then throw your hands in the air and go, stuff this, I'm out. Um, and that's the natural reaction, except I go, ha, wasn't that awesome? You know, I wonder how many of those you can handle. Are you tough or are you, are you going to let that impact your head? No, you're not. Have a laugh. And I actually laugh under the water. The second is if they could hear it, would probably know what's happening. And, and even though it is still terrible and I feel all the terrible things, it's a, it's just feeds a little bit of positivity into my brain. And I've got lots of little tricks like that, that I, that I uh, try and employ, which work really well, but not always. So I need to ask you a technical question. You mentioned nutrition. What is, how do you handle nutrition? Are you, is that on the support boats? Is that on your body? I get you can't be because you're just wearing a speedo cap and goggles. So talk to us about the, the nutrition strategy while you're in those swims. 
Yeah. So again, just a little bit of, of insight into how it works. If you want to do a swim, uh, you know, you want to do it the purest way, it's speedo, goggles and cap. The English Channel, for example, will allow you to grease yourself. You will always have a support boat alongside you. You may not, however, touch that boat at all. If you put a hand along it and, and hang on it, or they give you any help at any, all that, any way at all that gives you any kind of propulsion or rest or anything like that, you're instantly disqualified. So you do have support because things go wrong exceptionally quickly out there in the ocean, out of your control. Um, but obviously, especially on a 13-hour on a, um, a sort of English Channel kind of swim, you need to feed, you need to hydrate. A lot of people think, oh, you're in the water, so why would you need to drink? It's just a, a, funny, a funny perception that humans have. But swimming is quite a tough sport. So you are perspiring under that water, even though it's cold. You are working. So usually on every half an hour or every 45 minutes, whatever you decide, they'll throw you a bottle of whatever you've asked for and you drink it and you, you throw it back or they pull it in on a rope. Um, in, in terms of what you drink, um, something like a, a channel, you, you kind of know, it's, it's fairly well known that at a point you're going to run out of the carbs that you've stored. Okay, so you carb a load the night before and whether that's right or wrong, you know, all this banting talk and that, you know, there's been lots of discussions, but, you know, I, I'm a big believer in the placebo effect as well, so we'll get to that. Um, at some point in an English channel, you're going to reach a point where the body is empty and essentially you're hitting the wall and you, you'll be eating all the way through. So I drink obviously a carb drink. I drink electrolytes, but you'll be very careful because you're swallowing a lot of salt water, which is an electrolyte as itself in its, in its own. So you, you, got to, you can't overdo that. But on a very long swim, I also like to eat every now and then. So I'm, I'm throwing a little Tupperware and then I've got to tread water like crazy while I hold the Tupperware. You try and be in the water with both arms are out. And I have a quick look, there might be a marshmallow and a few grapes, I, I shove it in. So my nutrition is very far from, from scientific. However, swimming doesn't always allow you to have what you want, to be honest, because it's very hard to eat. It's much more sensible to have shakes and things you can drink. Um, so I, I, but I also, again, I'm, I'm kind of the mindset guy, so I put what I need in my body. And that's not very scientific. That's sort of off the shelf, extra carbs and electrolytes and, and, and whatever. But I make sure there's also something on the boat for those long hauls that I just like, um, you know, that I, I look forward to in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to get my piece of chocolate or my whatever, you know, and you, you kind of use those as the little carrots. If I just make it to the next half hour, let me, you know, if you're thinking of pulling out or bailing, you can, you, you, you set yourself those little, uh, carrots and, and you break it up. You know, it's, it's very important to break these endurance things up. And this could be a lesson, uh, again, to, to listeners is, you know, if you stand on the shores of Dover and you look across to France and your mindset is I'm going to swim to France, um, you, you might find yourself in a bit of trouble. If your mindset is I'm going to be stopped in 30 minutes, I'm just going to swim then. And then I'm getting a nice drink of something. And then I'm going to do it again and again and again, you, you, it's bite-sized chunks. And uh, you've got to switch off to time. And, and this is what's fascinating to me as well about, about myself and how my head works. Doing a Robin Island like I did this morning, my head space is all about swimming to that beach. I just want to get it done. Two hours, it was 2.09 this morning, walk out and, and I'm done and I, I can get back to the office. Um, that is not the mindset for the bigger swims. You, 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 cannot, you cannot do that because it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an entirely wrong mindset. And the more this happened as I was progressing in my swimming career, the more I realized how 
the mindset you adopt going in is very, very important. And I'm not just talking about, uh, I'm going to do this mindset and a rah, 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 beat my chest. I'm, I'm a strong human mindset and I'm, I'm a fit human. I'm talking about how you break it up going into it, how you are going to incentivize, how are you going to stay positive? Have those mindset tools pre-prepared. It's very hard to figure it out when you're in the moment and you're having the pain you're feeling or the, 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 the negative thoughts you're feeling and you don't know how to process that. So it's a, it's a big help to actually think about that before. And sometimes, you know, in a podcast like this, it sounds, sounds a little silly, these silly little tricks, but, um, and, and maybe what works for me is completely wrong for someone else. But I also know a lot of my swimming mates also have their, their little things that spur them on. You know, I'm also a, a funny animal. You know, I can be swimming with somebody and I can be thinking, I'm not going to make this. I'm in absolute pain. I, this is freezing cold. I'm on a slippery slope and I'm trying to stay positive, but I'm really battling. I'm losing the battle. And then suddenly, and I'll also be thinking, but no, you know, this person's going to make it. And you know, why am I feeling so terrible? And all of a sudden the person next to me will bail out and say, I can't go on. The amount of, of strength I take from that. I don't know why it's always yeah. happened when suddenly you realize, hang on, clearly that guy was having more pain than me. And it just, it's, it's a, it's an amazing thing because quite often my brain then flips and I'm fine for the rest of the swim. Whereas I was on the slippery slope, probably because subconsciously I'm comparing and I'm, you know, you don't want the humiliation of your buddy's going to make it and you're not, and you've done all the prep and blah, you know, I don't know. I haven't quite worked that out why, but as soon as someone else shows more pain than me, I get strength and I almost become the guy to say, no, don't worry. Don't pull out. We've got this, you know, and you, 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 you flip your mindset to, to rather try and help or keep them in and show them strength. And when you, you try to even fake it, you convince yourself and off you go. There's a, there's a lot to dig into that. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned breaking up these longer endurance races into bite-sized chunks for me, for Ironman, it's 15 minutes. Like mm. every 15 minutes I'm taking in hydration, salt, food, yeah. you name it. And it becomes a series of very short little episodes. And then all of a sudden, yeah. after many, many hours, you're kind of there at the finish line. Um, I'm curious while you're on land training, are you meditating? Do you have like a, a, a practice that helps you sort of come up with these stay positive, like this mental, this, there has to be some mental training that, that goes on between your swims. Um, the answer is, is yes, but I want to caveat that because I'm a hacker. So I've never taken training up and well, swimming squad on that yet, but never taken any kind of mental training, everything I've figured out myself. And someone asked me a few years ago, like, do you meditate as you are swimming now before you do these ultra cold swims, which we should talk about in a minute. Um, and my answer was no, I've never meditated before. And then I went on to describe what I do do. And she said, oh, well, that's meditation, a form of meditation. So I suppose, yes, maybe I do do some form of meditation. Um, but so, so can I, should I jump ahead and, and just, I don't know if it's jumping ahead. It's all uh, in context, but you know, once I started, I mean, I started doing these extra long cold swims and then I started testing with a bunch of mates, colder and colder and colder all the way up to water that, that we believe shouldn't have been humanly possible to actually swim an extended distance in. 
And that was, um, you know, there are a number of stories I can tell you, but um, in fact, we'll circle back to one of them. But the, the Antarctica one I want to tell you now is, you know, that's where I swam a full mile. That's 1,609 meters in my speedo in minus one degree water. Um, so what's that? 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's below where fresh water freezes and salt water freezes a little bit lower. And we went uh, to Antarctica to try and be the first to swim an official mile south of the Antarctic Circle. And uh, we didn't just because of lots of st stories, which you'll, you'll really enjoy if any of your audience read my book. Um, we didn't get the geography right to that uh, because the well, the passenger liner and the weather was too terrible. They turned around, but it made no difference to the temperature of the water and the, the, the size of, of the challenge. But before I walked down the gangway of an ocean liner in Antarctica in a speedo cap and goggles and dived into minus one water, if you don't prepare yourself mentally and go into what I call the zone, because I think that's where that conversation came up. It's like, do you meditate? No, I go into a zone. They said, well, describe the zone. <laughs> and my, my zone is just blocking as much out as I possibly can. You can still talk to me, but I'm not going to respond anymore. I'll take the info in if I need it. I'll filter everything else out. Um, I focus on the impact. So I'm going to dive in this water. How am I going to, how am I going to manage that excruciating headache and, and uh, sore teeth that I'm going to get? How am I going to uh, manage that hyperventilation <laughs> feeling as my body reacts and tries to get me out? How am I going to manage the adrenaline rush of diving into this water where there are orca and leopard seals and lots of other things? And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's cold enough to kill you pretty quickly. How am I going to manage that adrenaline and not sprint the first 200 meters and then not have enough uh, energy to still uh, finish the 1,400 meters I've got to do after that. That all has to be, for me anyway, computed before I walk down that gangway. Don't try and figure it out lastminute.com. You need to think about it and I need to visualize it and I need to visualize my first few strokes. I need to visualize that pain and I try and visualize it way worse than it's going to be and how my body is going to react. And I try and calm myself because I know I'm going to be in, in shock. There's nothing you can really do about it. The body will react the way the body reacts. Um, it's just how you respond to it mentally and physically. That, that uh, is obviously in, the, in question. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you really what I do other than visualize it and think about it hard. So block everything out, find your quiet time, sit in a dark room, whatever you want to do, close your eyes and visualize you know, whatever's relevant to you, not everyone's going to swim and try and swim in an article or ice mile, but visualize whatever you're doing. Um, and you, you know, try and familiarize yourself with the pain points of what you're doing. You know what they are coming up. If you're a distance runner, you know, what's going to happen. You know, that big hill's coming, you know, what your mind's going to be telling you at that point before you start the ascent or whatever the case may be, <laughs> you know, and, and visualize it and look forward to that point and, and make yourself positive about it. And, uh, and almost appreciate the pain that comes with it and will help you. It doesn't solve all your problems. You're still going to hurt. Um, but that's the point of these challenges, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a great lessons in that, Ryan. Thank you. Um, shifting gears slightly, talk to us about how you've taken the, the principles and this mindset that you've learned through your endurance and applied it to your business. 
Yeah, great. You know, I know I'm, I'm so blessed. So I was an advertising salesperson. I know I'm a full-time inspirational speaker. So I spend more time in the States and Australia and I'm off to Pakistan in two days. And I'm like, so where, I, I never really know where I am. My, my body clock hasn't got a clue. And I'm telling you this because I'm, I'm spreading messages, which mostly corporate organizations are paying plenty of money just to see and to hear because they're taking real value out of it. So I'm really blessed. And how do I apply swimming and all these mindset things? Um, I've constructed a really cool story of, of my journey and what I've discovered inside my head about it, which we've already spoken about where the mind says the endpoint is and where the real endpoint is, but it all revolves around the center focus of the comfort zone, which, which we kind of know if you don't get outside your comfort zone, you, you cannot learn new stuff. It's as simple as that. Stay in your lane. You might deliver, there's a roof over your head, there's food on the table, you'll hit your number, everyone might pat you on the back, they'll be happy with you. Um, but you'll never find out what was on the other side of the line. So if you don't get outside your comfort zone, you cannot learn new stuff. If you stop learning new stuff, you cannot grow. And when we stop growing, one thing I can guarantee you is you're going to get overtaken by those who are. Be that in your personal life, in your sporting life, or in your business life. And that is a message that I help um, many thousands and thousands of people to understand, um, especially entrepreneurs and obviously, well, actually everyone from, from school kids actually all the way up to, to presidents of, of, of massive corporates. Uh, and we talk a lot about the awareness of how the mind is not propelling us forward when the gets tough. It is often sending us in the opposite direction. So we've got this gateway to absolute greatness, this power tool that lives upstairs that, you know, that, that, um, that no one's going to argue when I say it's the gateway to absolute greatness, because it really is. But I get a lot of pushback sometimes or discussion, at least when I say this gateway to absolute greatness that we all have is actually our biggest limitation because it's so powerful, but its primary job is not to propel you forward in a hostile, uncomfortable, scary situation. It's to keep you safe. And that happens subconsciously. And that impacts every single person's decision-making process if you're not aware of it. And that is what I relay quite nicely. You know, we, it's all great for the survival of the human species to keep us safe. And I understand so we don't run into a, a fire or walk off a cliff or something dumb like that. However, there's a side effect of this evolution of this wonderful defense mechanism we all have, or powerful brain we all have. And that is, it keeps us safe from the emotional pain that comes from failure. Because when we fail, there's consequences, there's humiliation, there's embarrassment, there's all those things. And sometimes there's pain that comes from that. So it keeps us safe from the emotional pain that comes from failure. And that is the strongest thing that is holding specifically people in corporates. And, and, and to answer your, literally answering your question in my own business as well, it is, it is, it is the, the desire or the instinct to stay safe that is stemming growth. And lots of people grow, absolutely, and a lot of people have overcome this, but the vast majority don't realize there is a switch you can flick in your brain that takes you from the self-protect way of looking at red tape and targets and uh, mountains and whatever the case may be, um, and puts you into what I say a self-explore. It's just a different way of looking at that exactly that exact same problem. So in my own very little business, I'm a small sole proprietor, a little team of salespeople, and we were media sales people. We would 
you know, we would box to our weight. So a count would come out that, yes, we can handle that. Looks like a nice count. Pitch for it, try and win it. We were really good at what we did, so we would usually win it. I was petrified of not winning it. Then a big account would come up for pitch, and I would go, no, you know, that's designed for the teams who've got 30, 40 strong sales team. We don't have the capacity. We're just going to look ridiculous trying to pitch for that. And after I started to develop this mindset and understand the stuff that I was, uh, you know, starting to process through all my swims, I would say to my team, no, no, we're going in balls to the wall after that one. And if we fail, we fail. You know what? But if we don't try, we've already failed. And all those cliches that, that, that are so darn true. And we, we need to remind ourselves of them. And I would go in and we would fight for them. And you know what? Most of the time we'd lose because we're too small and it was designed for bigger teams. But every now and then we'd win one and my business would just be an absolute hive and we'd be the talk of the industry and how on earth did that little company win that um and uh, that fueled me to do more and more so and, and that's just my own personal um case you know and, and uh again on a, on a side note setting all of that aside which was a brilliant living for me and a wonderful way to support my family in 25 years to stop to try and and get on the inspirational speaking circuit because I really believe in my story and my message was a huge leap of faith for me. And it really, it really was. So, you know, without trying to blow any smoke, it was, it was scary as hell. And it's very hard to get on the inspirational speaking um, circuit, especially sitting in Cape Town trying to, you know, do business in the States, which luckily I'm now getting really good traction because no one knows me. And why on earth would you fly me over and, and spend a lot of money to hear a story of someone you've never heard of? It's only when I get you to maybe do a little bit of Googling and, and certainly ask for some references that I start to pick up decent business. But it was very, very difficult and scary for me to do that. Um, and I'm quite proud of myself for doing it. And then just as I started to gain traction, COVID hit and how many, uh, how many events do you think were happening around the world in lockdown? Try zero. So there I sat now thinking, you know, did I make a good decision? And I certainly didn't believe I did because no one knew where COVID was going and how long it would last. But here I am, extremely happy and uh, on, on a phenomenal journey, um, talking to people like yourself, Greg. And, uh, you know, um, that's all thanks to exactly what I preached, practicing what I preach, I suppose. You know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the public speaking journey. When did that light bulb go on for you that, hey, I've got a message and I want to deliver it to these audiences and also walk us through sort of the training you need to go through. Like what was, and I personally have a lot of curiosity here, so that's why I'm asking the question. But that initial day when you said, yeah, this is something I want to do, walk us through kind mm -hmm. of what happens between there and now. Yeah. So I actually go into a bit of detail on this in, in my book as well, because I can't take a lot of credit for in my sales business. I would go attend sales conferences, right? My sister, Jill Atwood worked with me and for me at the time. And there would be an inspirational speaker up on stage off quite often, you know, at these conferences and I'd be the one clapping and wow, that was so great. And Jill would elbow me and saying, Ryan, what you just did there trying to be the first to swim around the southernmost tip of South America, what you did trying to swim from America to Russia across the Bering Sea. What you've done in Antarctica is just way above what you've just clapped and stood up and uh, having your goosebun moments. Put a story together and give it a try. 
And that's what sowed the seed, by the way. But, and, and I'm, I'm very much, no, 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 I'm, you know, I've got a business to run. There's no time to now start putting stories together. And who wants to hear me tell a, a story about swimming? Anyway, I was convinced and I did, and I've got some really cool footage and had a wonderful story. And I went to that sales conference, a business called Sales Guru, a guy called Mark Keating, who's the CEO. And I said, I've been a delegate of yours for like 15 years, right? I also happen to be, I'm a salesperson and I do these extreme things. How about giving me a chance and let me be the inspirational speaker on the stage? Now, I can unpack how scary that was for me to do, but I put myself out there and he took the bait and uh, he hired me to speak. And my first talk ever was in front of 550 people and they strapped a little thing. I had no training whatsoever. Nothing. I had to put a PowerPoint together with a couple of slides and it ended in a, in a really cool video, which I still use to this very day, but it is proper kick-ass. And uh, I gave my story with, with, uh, with a bunch of nerves and shakes on stage and 550 people stood up and applauded for me. And Mark said afterwards, that's in his 20 years of presentations, that's the first time he's had a full house standing ovation for any of his speakers. And that was obviously a proper trigger for me to go, oh, okay. And from that one gig that I did, luckily the room was filled with 550 people who also run businesses or involved in other organizations and the booking started. So all of a sudden it went from, a, you know, just a, a hobby and maybe a little bit of pocket money if someone was prepared to pay. And it eventually got to a point where you think, well, hang on, you, you can actually make a living out of this if you do it right. Um, and as soon as you come to that, you then obviously got to figure out your business plan and, you know, what's sustainable and, you know, do I have to keep doing crazy things to the inch of my life to, to stay relevant or do I have a message that's strong enough from what I've already done that can really help people because you won't survive if you're just the guy who's got cool stories because you're going to get old and you're not going to do cool stuff all the way. And it's exceptionally hard to be honest because everything I do as a swimmer, I do for myself. I've never had any interest in being a speaker before this or being in the newspapers or doing podcasts. I do it for myself because I'm pushing my own boundaries. So I don't have a camera person filming me doing stuff or someone documenting it. And clearly when you're swimming, you can't do it either. So 99% of the challenges that I've done, there's no documentation. It's just a story. However, in Antarctica, I was part of a passenger line and about 180 passengers filmed me so I could get all the all their footage and that created the story. Um, I sidetracked myself. Anyway, it's snowboarding and uh, I still to this day have had no formal training. I have in COVID put myself through some courses just because what's happened with me is I've become a performance coach without even knowing it. After my keynotes, most people, most people, many people will contact me privately and ask like, do you mind sparing me a couple of minutes? And I would chat to them and, you know, and, and help them as best I can until someone pointed out saying, Ryan, that's performance coaching. You know, you're helping them to perform better. And, you know, that I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing it maybe a little irresponsibly. So I did all the formalities around that and understand a bit better what I need to do. Um, and yeah, we, we, you asked me, so you know, Greg, I, I don't know, what more can I tell you? No, no, I'm, I'm luckily a survivor. COVID, figured out how to do things virtually, how to be, stay current. Um, I've got other keynotes as well. You know, you've I've fleshed it out. I was convinced by my sister to write this book, which has been absolutely incredible for me. Very vulnerable to write a book, by the way, about yourself. Yeah, I um, can't wait you, to read it. 
Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Um, a lot of people enjoy it. Uh, it depends what you're looking for, then, I suppose. But you'll you'll get a great story and a great uh, insight into it. If that interests you, then uh, you'll enjoy it too. Absolutely. So, Ryan, um, just wrapping up here, how can an audience member get in touch with you? What's website? What's your social media platform of choice? Um, to get in contact with me, the social media of choice is Instagram. And please look for Ryan underscore Stramrud. I've got two. One's Ryan Stramrud, at Ryan Stramrud. But Ryan underscore Stramrud is where I put all my swimming stuff and my challenges and, and what I'm up to next. So I do try and uh, I do try and respond as best possible. I'm actually quite good like that. Um, sometimes it's I'm inundated, but uh, please I, I would urge you to get hold of me. I'd love to I'd love to chat. Um, my website is www.ryanstramrud.co.no.com, and I'm on Facebook and whatever else. But I'm not very good at social media, but Instagram's probably where I am the most. Fantastic. And we'll include those in the show notes. We'll include it, your links to your book. Um, Ryan, it's been awesome having you on the show. I could talk to you for hours and listen to your stories and, and the deep down learnings that you've come, that you've delivered. Um, clearly, there's a benefit of us getting outside of our comfort zone and seeing what the other side of the line looks like. Uh, my message to my audience, yeah. if you've got some value out of this conversation today, please share it with your community. Please share Ryan's message, grab his book, tell us what you think, like the episode, like the podcast. Um, Ryan, it's been awesome having you on the show and thank you for, for taking the time. Thank you, Greg. We didn't uh, scratch the surface of what's really down there, but maybe we can do it again. Uh, I'd love to share more. Fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.